Helgen. Nulfane stood there in the wreckage, surrounded by corpses. Scorched earth, ashes, the passage of time. It had been nearly a year since that day. The day he came to Skyrim. The day the Imperials had tried to execute him. The day he had been saved by a dragon. The corpses from that day were little more than dust and bone now. But the Dark Elf swore he could still smell them. It was a smell he would not soon forget. But there were new corpses in Helgen now, too fresh to stink. Not much more than they had in life, anyway. Their bright blood glistened off the blades in his hands. Nilfin couldn't smell the blood, not anymore. It would have been like trying to determine his own scent. He sheathed his swords, not bothering to wipe away the blood. There would be more. There was always more. Dull ash stirred in the wind. Helgen, it seemed, was fit only for ghosts. Nilfane Nilzaril glanced once more at the corpses around him, wondering how he'd gotten here. Hello and welcome to part four of the Ebonheart arc of the Pretenders Guild podcast. My name is Dylan. And my name is Chris. And we're just going to jump right into we're just things. Boogie on into it because right last here. time when I gave you the Twitter name, at Pretenders Guild, I said the Pretenders Guild and I had to edit it out and change it. Uh, oh, ho, ho. So this is, a, this is a role-playing podcast about the Elder Scrolls video games. If you haven't listened to the first three parts, you might want to do that so this makes more sense. Do whatever you want, though. Don't let me control your life. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I believe in you. Make our own decisions. Shall we get into this? Let's do it. So last time I talked about how Nilfane had finally tracked down the Khajiit that yeah. he had a contract out on. He killed him, but there was a lot of collateral damage because of that. And he had some unintended consequences. He killed a few people that he didn't really want to kill. He felt a little bit bad about it. He fought a necromancer. He fought a, another Penitus Oculatus agent. Realized that all of these things, everything he's done, he's kind of accountable for it. He's yeah. been coming back to haunt him a little bit. Previously, he thought he was the ghost, but now he's haunted. <laughs> Previously, the tender's guilt. <laughs> right. So the last uh, story ended with him coming out of a tower after killing a necromancer and a resurrected Khajiit that he had to kill twice now. Mm-hmm. Fights this Penitus Oculatus agent, and now he's just on the road, doesn't really know what to do. He starts traveling. Now, he he doesn't really know where he's going. He's considered joining the Dawn Guard mm-hmm. because it's something positive that he thinks he can do. And the Dawn Guard being uh, the recently reestablished uh, group of vampire hunters in Skyrim. Right. After fighting... A necromancer and an undead thrall. He started to feel like you know that was that was wrong. I need to do something right, which might be fighting undead. He's not too sure yet. So for now, he's just sort of riding around the southern area of Skyrim near Falkreath, just sort of hunting bandits at this point. He noticed that a lot of times at night, the only lights that you'll see anywhere on these roads are little campfires set off in the woods, and he, he, it's always just bandits. Mm-hmm. So he'll sneak up to them and he'll try to decipher whether it's a hunter, a traveler. Or a group of bandits or a necromancer. That's kind of what he's looking for. He's okay. looking for more necromancers to kill because that felt like something. He doesn't really know what he's seeking. But killing a necromancer was good. He, knew, right. he knows that that was no bones about it was right. Sometimes bandits, he's like, well, why are they in this life? There's a little bit of a question to it. Sure. But, you know, off and on like this for a few nights. And he starts to track this group of bandits. He realizes that there's two or three of them, but it seems like they're, they're headed somewhere. Mm-hmm. So he thinks, if, if I kill them here, I'm never going to find out where they're headed. Seems like they're part of a bigger group. Maybe if I can just get to the, to the core of this, I can clear out a huge swath of bandits from Falkreath. Right. And these bandits first caught his attention one day. He, he had stopped in in town, unloading some things, picking up some supplies. As much as he's sort of a vagabond who's who's loose in the wild, he still needs some shit. You know? Of course. Boy, still got to buy some potions. Got to survive. Got to survive. So he had stopped in on Falkreath, and on his way back out, he's ambushed on the road. Now, you may have seen this before. Many many travelers of Skyrim have seen this sort of thing. These bandits had, had erected a, a kind of bridge across the road, high across the road, mm-hmm. leaned up over some logs and stones, and, and they had created this, this bridge high above where they were ambushing people, dropping stones on them, shooting arrows at them. Uh, Nilfane saw this coming a mile away, was not too happy about it. So, again, he sort of – he likes to leave his horse in the road right. and then sneak off to the side. So he snuck up there, killed these bandits without any of them noticing – um, well, they started to notice when they were dying. Right. They're like, what's going on? Oh. And that's when he realized that, you know, there's there's some good killing to be had around here. 
He's never really killed for sport, but and that's not what this is. Again, seeking a purpose. But he's tracking this group of bandits who he thinks is affiliated with that same group. And he tracks them for a while, and then suddenly he, he catches a few of them, and they're heading back into this, this walled fortress era. He, can't quite, he doesn't quite know where he is. He's never really paying much attention. He can follow roads, follow signs. Mm-hmm. But he sees these bandits up ahead on the road. This is a few days later. He tracks them, and uh, just before they're able to reach their, their hideout, he fires three owls. Quickly, just <laughs> takes them down. They drop dead on the road. He searches them. Nothing really. And then he pushes open this gate, this old, worn, burnt gate. He sneaks into this town. He starts looking around. And sure enough, there's bandits everywhere. There's people. Some of them are just cooking. Some of them are sharpening their swords. Some of them are counting out loot. There's just a big organization of bandits. Yep. And they're cursing and they're talking about certain things. And he knows that these are the same bandits that he's encountered a few times now. So after sneaking around for a little while... Uh, firing arrows. He just, he's already decided he's hes clearing out this place. He doesn't want to have to fight his way through, so he wants to clear out as many as he can. But as he's going through here, he starts to realize more and more that this place seems really familiar, which is strange because he's not generally visiting the same place more than once. As a Dark Brotherhood assassin, you don't really hang out anywhere except for your Dark Brotherhood sanctuary. Right. And he's not from Skyrim, so it's not like he has any sort of affiliation with any of these places. He doesn't have a home here anywhere. But as he's going, moving through this, this place, he starts to realize that he, he does recognize it somehow. Mm-hmm. And that's when it hits him. He's in Helgen. And Helgen is the town oh. where he uh, was first captured, where the player is first captured right. while, when, when going into Skyrim. So when he was crossing the border, this is the first place that he was taken where he was to be executed. And this has been almost a year now that Nilfane wow. has had come into Skyrim and then made a life for himself, made a life for himself in the shadows, but it was still alive. And he realizes now that he's back in Helgen one year later. And there are burnt corpses there. There's still there's these charred remains of the people and the places right. that had been in Helgen. Uh, most of the, the people have turned to ash by now, but there, there are these, these charred corpses. You can still see them in the corners of ruined towers now where this dragon had come and torched the place. And then next to those are the new corpses of these bandits that he's just been cutting down. Yeah. Uh, and even as he's, he's standing there, sort of in the center of Helgen, it's the middle of the day, bright sunshine coming down. He's looking at the, the wreckage of everything here. Another bandit charges up behind him, and he sort of he slowly turns towards him and then raises his blades, fights him off, cuts him down. There's new bright blood dripping off of his blades, and it's all dull and ashy everywhere else. And he's looking around at, at this destruction here and how even with the collateral damage that he had faced hunting this Khajiit a few days ago, having to kill innocents, even killing all these bandits now. You know, there's like 10 or 11 of them just lying in different various positions yeah. all around this area. It doesn't does nothing to, to match the destruction that this dragon brought, that in a way this force of nature brought to this town. And it kind of starts to put things in perspective for him. Because up until now, or over the last few months for him, a few weeks, he's just been racked with this kind of guilt and wrestling with the fact that he's had to use so much violence against people and perhaps he's doing some sort of evil he's bringing something bad into the world that he had never considered before but then he looks at something like this where a dragon can devastate a town in a single breath fire and he's he's got nothing on that he can never be that bad and that gives him a perspective that there are things bigger than him as much as he is still accountable for his actions there are things bigger than him and one man one dark elf with two swords and a bow could never do that much damage as these other forces in the world. And that means that there is some sort of redemption that he could still seek. So this sort of experience in Helgen, looking at the destruction and, and coming back to it, especially a year later and kind of contemplating, even as the player contemplating everything that had transpired since mm-hmm. the character is created, since Nilfane came into Skyrim and almost was executed and had all these situations happen to him, joining the Dark Brotherhood, joining the Thieves Guild, and then, leaving both, and now on this new path a year later, there's a lot to reflect upon. So now he decides he's, he's going to head east towards Riften, towards where the Dawn Guard is. He travels for days and days and has given up on, on his bandit hunts. Mm-hmm. He's mostly just riding as hard as he can. Some days he, he stops and he takes breaks and he'll, he'll give his horse a rest and, and quietly, casually ride down the road and sort of just take in what's around him a little bit more contemplating more destruction, violence, chaos, all these things that he's just been involved in, death, most mostly death, contemplating all these things that he's been wrapped up in for so long, and 
just as he's he's sort of riding along somewhere somewhere west of Ripton. He doesn't even know where he is. An arrow zooms by his head. Another arrow zooms by his head. He jumps off of his horse. It's happening again, you know. There's mm-hmm. there's another abandoned attack. No matter where he goes, there's always something happening. The music starts playing. The music starts playing. <laughs> you can tell. Yeah. And so he starts firing back. He sees all these bandits along a wall. There's this this tower and a, a stone fortress around it. So he's like, okay, I'm just I'm just gonna deal with this. There's no more hemming and hawing from him over. He's he has a mission now. He's going to the Dawn Guard. So he starts taking these guys out, clean kills all around. He decides he's gonna go in and check it out a little bit more. And as soon as he gets inside, he has to he has to fight his way in a little bit, but it's smooth. Mm-hmm. You know, he's still been able. He's they they may have spotted him first, but he still has the skills of an assassin. He's still able to take them out and get in cleanly, no issues. And he's sneaking in. He's now in the tower. Everyone outside is dead. There's nobody in, you know outside who can warn the people inside. He's sneaking around, and suddenly he hears, "Hey, over here!" Not the dude from Skinny Grad in Oblivion. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that creep. Yeah, that creep. It's not him. It's this. It's this dude. It is a wood elf. I believe it's a wood elf. Maybe it's an imperial. Doesn't matter. No things. You're either a dark elf or you're not. Um, <laughs> Same he, with things by moon. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> he sees this guy who who introduces himself as as Christer, and he says that he's come here because his wife is missing, mm-hmm. and he he needs to find her, and he believes that the bandits at this tower called Mistwatch Tower, have have taken his wife, have, have kidnapped her. They want to ransom her. And Nilfin is not generally one to take on, like, do-gooder tasks, but he's kind of in the spirit for it. He's yeah. still searching for something to hold on to, and he's here, and he thinks, well, I did just kill all these people. I can just do more killing here, but except it'll be for a good reason this time. Like, I'm going to help this dude find his wife. And so he says, okay, I'll do it. Mm-hmm. Whatever. The guy offers to pay him, and he's just, okay, I'll go. I'll search the rest of the tower. I'll see what I can find. And he starts to search. He starts to search. He goes up a floor. There's nobody around. Um, catches an orc in a hallway, stabs him in the back, drops him. That's it. They're bandits. No mm-hmm. big deal for him. But as he comes around another corner, there's three or four of them standing there, and they see him. Somebody just happened to look over just as he came in. Battle ensues. He draws his swords. He fights his way through these bandits. And he, he cuts them all down, but now he can hear noise up above in the tower. And there's some shit going on. People people have now noticed him. You can hear the clanking of armor. And he thinks he needs to go and hide somewhere. But by then, there's already somebody charging down the stairs, the stone steps. They're charging at him. He's just been been caught. And as these bandits are coming down, this, this orc again with a giant hammer comes at him. And starts swinging at him, smashing things across the room. And Nilfane's put on his heels. And for once, he sort of feels outmatched. This is... This dude knows his shit. He's smashing things. He's taking chips out of Nilfane's swords as he's trying to deflect. And it's a it's a hard and, and bloody and, and gruesome battle as he's able to finally beat this orc back, cut him up just enough times to finally put him down. And then as soon as he puts him down, he comes around the stairs, ready to head up, and there's another one. Mm-hmm. There's just these, these two bandits, swords and shields, and again, it's bashing and slashing and rolling and fighting his way up. And it's brutal and it's violent mm-hmm. and it's tiring. And he finally cuts through all these bandits and he gets to the top floor and he is exhausted. And he's crouching and he's sneaking up, trying to catch his breath. But he knows there's hardly any bandits left now, so he should be okay. And he gets to the top and he realizes that, uh, well, there's just one woman left. So he's like, okay, this is, this is clearly who I'm looking for. And he goes up to this woman and says her name. He says, hey, are you so-and-so? And she looks at him like, how do you? How do you know me? Mm-hmm. He says, your husband, Krista, he sent me. And she's like, what, what are you talking about? My husband sent you. And he's, yeah, he's downstairs. He came looking for you. I've been sent to find you. Now, come on. He's, he's angry now. He just fought his way through all these bandits. He's a little bit pissed off. He's not too happy about the way this is going. And this lady's like, yeah, I'm not coming with you, buddy. Tell that guy, Krista, to take a hike. Ooh. I was not kidnapped by bandits. I'm the leader of these bandits. Oh. And Nilfane is like, no, 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 no. I just... You don't understand. Did you not hear everything that was... I just killed every single one of them. And now she's like, oh, is that right? She takes out her weapon. She's a little bit pissed off now. You just um, killed all my friends. You just killed all my fucking friends. Jerk. And he's like, uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh. I just had to kill all your friends. And she's like, yeah, you just killed all my friends. Like, we're on the same... We seem like we're mad about the same thing. And he is, in a way, she's obviously like, whoa, what the fuck? 
this dude just came in. My husband is back. Like, what is happening here? And he could have probably taken the time here to say, like, well, come with me or you're going to meet the same fate or like come and talk to your husband. Fuck all this shit. Resolve like, this. Resolve yeah. this. Come on. But he doesn't. He's just so mad that he just went through this. He tries to do a good deed. And then it was just for some traitorous person who left her husband to go become a bandit leader. Like mm-hmm. he just feels, he feels hoodwinked again. It was like when he was set up in the dark brotherhood and the, the false emperor assassination right. and how he's just like, uh, uh-uh, this is not okay. And it's just that kind of that rage that keeps coming over him. That was never an experience he had before up until a few weeks ago. And he just go, he launches himself with this woman and she barely, I mean, she already took out her weapon, but it's just so sudden. He flies out, he cuts her up, and there's this sort of spiral staircase leading down in the center of the room, and he, he slashes her, hits her enough times that she falls down, crumples down the stairs, <laughs> something cracks, and she falls silent. He goes down, he checks out her body, grabs out a note that's addressed from her, so he knows this is proof, this is the proof. Uh-huh. He goes back downstairs, doesn't have to crouch anymore, just puts his swords away. Walks downstairs, where this guy Christer is still hiding out, waiting for Nilfane to come back with news of his wife. And he uh, he asks him, he's like, so what's going on? I heard like a lot of commotion up there. Is everything okay? You know, I heard a lot of fighting. You said you were sneaky. How come How come you were fighting so much? And Nilfane, he says, your wife is the bandit leader. And he's like, that's not true. That's absolutely not true. And Nilfane is immediately just like angered again. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you, don't, don't defy what I just told you because I just went through all this bullshit. And Nilfane has never really been good at communicating. If he could communicate, he may say something like, if you know what's good for you, you, you will just stop now. Right. But the guy is insistent. He's like, no, where is my wife? What, this is bullshit. You made up this story. And Nilfane is just like, no. No, but I'm telling you the truth. Go look for yourself. And this guy is like, well, then where, where is she? If she's the bandit leader, where is she? Nilfane says, I had to kill her. And then obviously the guy, he just starts so you can see the snarl forming on his face. Nilfane doesn't wait for anything else. Pulls out the sword. Ooh. Cuts the guy's throat. Drops him. That's it. This man, Christer, who, who came all this way to find his wife, who he believed had been taken from him, who had really just abandoned him. This poor man. Oh, this, yeah. This poor, poor man. The poor sap. Who Nilfane thinks that he's been hoodwinked. Christer, this dude is the one who's really been hoodwinked. He's a tragic figure. He's a tragic figure. <laughs> and Nilfane just cut his throat in a closet of some tower somewhere. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And the guy just... It drops. And that's it. And Nilfane puts his sword away and he doesn't feel bad about it. And that, I felt like, was a another turning point for him. Where he start, every time he starts to lean back towards a desire to do good, mm-hmm. there'll be something that, that pushes him back to either ambivalence, or this time it was rage. Yeah. This time he was pissed. He cut this dude's throat, and he moves on. And the final leg of the journey before he reached the Dawnguard mm-hmm. uh, fortress was he, he's, he's riding along one day, I think at this point I had lost my horse. So Nilfane was walking along one day. I don't yeah, know what happened to the horse. Trotting. The horses um, have a tendency to wander off yeah. or get attacked. The, the horse was, was a little bit tired waiting on Nilfane in this tower. He decided he was heading to the Dawnguard by himself to enlist. So Nilfane, he's just walking down the road, and he hears this, <laughs> it's an orc humming. It's not Barba. Okay. There's this, this old say. orc man, and he's just humming along, and he just goes like, ugh, traveler. And Nilfane sort of nods at him, and, and the orc looks him up and down, gets to, sizes him up, sees the bow on his back, sees the swords at his hips, and he, and he thinks, um, hmm, okay. Walks up to Nilfane, he says, hey, wait, wait a second, elf, wait a second. And he, he basically propositions him, like, this orc starts talking about how Malakath, his god, wouldn't want him to die of old age, wants him to die with the sword in his hand. They're kind of similar to the Nords in that way. He says he's, he's wandering Skyrim, in search of a good death. And he looks at Nilfane and he's like, you think you could give it to me? This sort of incites something in, in Nilfane that's, that's very integral to who, who he is. A good death, a clean death, a swift death. And he just, yes, I can give you a good death. And the orc's like, well, I just, listen, listen, Nilfane. <laughs> I'm not so sure that, you, that you're prepared for this. Like, I am looking for a good death. I am an, an aging man. But, like, I still bring the business. Yeah, like, good death means I fight back. Yeah, don't get it twisted. I'm going to try my hardest to kill you. And if you fail, then I'll go find somebody else to give me a good death. Nilfane is kind of into this. He likes this proposition. So, once again, they, they decide they're going to move off to the side of the road. They go into some trees. Uh, 
they're near Rifton, so it's very autumnal. Mm-hmm. Red and gold leaves everywhere. There's a river rushing nearby. It's a good scene. This man is about to get a good death. Swords are drawn. They clash for a while. And it's very it's very fluid. It's very it's different than these battles he's had with bandits. It's simple. Mm-hmm. It's just two guys trying to kill each other. It's just about this. Mm-hmm. It's just about the death at the end. And for once, it doesn't feel violent. It feels like... It's like martial arts, almost. Okay. The way that there is an artistry behind it. And and Nilfing is starting to gain an appreciation for this fight. He has all these skills, but he's always hated using them or hated the uselessness of them or like the it's so unnecessary to fight. Sure. But now he's having a fight and he's really appreciating it. And you can tell that this orc is appreciating it, too. They're going blade for blade, blow for blow. He's taken a couple hits, but he has n- no damage too bad. And finally, he's able to run this orc through. He gets both blades up under an attack. Dives him through, cuts this guy down, um, or sort of skewers him in front of him, and you can see the orc just nodding as the blood is just draining uh-huh. from him. Like, yep. uh, and he, he pulls the swords out, and the man just crumples. Nilfane puts a hand on him, just kind of holding him to the ground with his sword up, but before he has to cut his throat or cut his head off or anything, the man clearly he goes out. Drops his body into the leaves, gives it a moment of silence. You know, the very uh the, the foliage the falling leaves around them it's very mm-hmm. uh very fitting for this death and for the first time in his entire life even way 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 back with the mute hunter who Nilfing grew up with uh-huh. when that man died Nilfing just left him that was it but this man he decides he's going to give him some sort of a funeral he doesn't know, really know what that is but what he does is picks the man up by his leather jerkin what's left of it yeah <laughs> kind of picks it up and just drags him off towards the water sits him up just looks at him for a minute he doesn't really know what to say he's thinking if he should pray to this man's god malakath say something he doesn't really know what to say but he puts the man's sword back in his hand grips it tight there grabs him by the the leather shirt again and then throws him into the water pulls him off into the into the rushing river nearby and the man's body's just taken away he doesn't really know why he did it but it felt like something he needed to do mm-hmm. to just send this man off to send this orc off who he feels like he just had his first true battle with his first real good fight with he sends him off down the river and just watches the body go you know it quickly goes under but then it's taken off down a waterfall and he just looks and then chris went and looked underwater to see if his body was really flowing away it was uh, <laughs> but Nilfing just stood there and he watched and the sun came down around him and he furthered his resolve it's been a we- it was a weird couple weeks for Nelfane. Yeah. Killing and not killing, but it, it was mostly just killing. But feeling different ways about it. It's just all about building off of these experiences. Heading towards the Dawnguard where he feels like he's going to find his quote-unquote destiny. So when we last left Sings by Moon, uh, he had made his way toward Riften, uh, the city to the south, and encountered a, uh, a roving group of bandits who hurt him pretty bad uh, on his on his travels, and he managed to make his way into the city, find a healer uh, before seeking refuge from from uh, heavy rain in like the lower quarters of the city, uh, sort of like underneath the cover of this l- this large round structure in the middle of it. Um, and he was awoken by a, uh, an, a human named Brynjolf. Brynjolf. Right? Good old Brynjolf. Good old Brynny. And they had this, uh, this, this conversation uh, that eventually led to them both realizing they had met previously, albeit briefly, and had sort of an offer on the table uh, that this time Sings by Moon has decided to take up because he found out that the subject of this offer is uh, a dark elf. His most hated enemy. <laughs> so, Sings by Moon, upon finding out that this is a dark elf, says, you know, first says, let's fucking do this. And he says, well, hold on, what, what are you exactly doing? So, Bernie Elf explains that 
Um, or, no, I already did explain this. He's going to cause a distraction mm-hmm. in the marketplace district where uh, there will be some sort of shenanigans. So he explains that um, there is another Argonian in the town who runs uh, who runs a shop front in the marketplace district where it's a bunch, a bunch of like stands outside. It's not like actual like shops. Um, and uh, Brynjolf knows that this Argonian keeps a, a certain ring in a lockbox behind his um, behind his shop front and Sings Moon is to in one way or another plant that ring on uh, a dark elf named Bran Shea oh. who is another merchant in the city uh, finds out that Bran Shea has done some sort of business dealings with the, uh, this man's organization and uh, is trying he's getting a little cute so Brynjolf wants to send a message. Yeah, he'll send a little message. Um, right. So, Sings Moon accepts this offer, finally, uh, for the second time, and uh, they agree that afterwards they're to meet at the same spot at sundown. So, uh, this is going to happen midday, sort of in the morning, so Sings Moon has a little bit of time to kill, so he heads over back to that that temple, uh, I believe, of Mara, that he was healed at the night previous, mm-hmm. And he remembers he saw a mortar and pestle over on the corner. So he's he walks over in. there. He's, he's trying to get right with Jesus, or what's going uh, on? He ain't trying to get right with Big J just yet. He's he he he's really just wants to use the mortar and pestle. He's got he's got an agenda. <laughs> of course. So he he's actually hoping he doesn't see that same priest from the night before. He's like, oh, do not want to have to do anything. Blow my cover. Not trying to get judged. He, he's aware. He's aware of his tendencies and how at any moment anything could just flip. Um, but luckily enough for him, he just walks in, sees a few acolytes playing, praying at the altar, uh, and is able to unassumingly make his way toward the mortar and pestle, where he uh, empties the contents of these Luna Moth wings that he had found on his travels uh, to Riften, that, like as he was going through the swamp trying to escape from the bandits, uh, and then combines them with Ice Wraith teeth, which he has stolen from one of the few um, shopkeepers around Skyrim that he <laughs> has murdered. And which are he's not encountered an ice wraith himself, luckily for him. Uh, so he's lucky to have these these uh, these ingredients. So he starts using uh, using the device to sort of squash them all up into this uh, this fine uh, like almost like a powder and dusty crystalline thing, and adds a base liquid to it, puts it in a vial, and according to this book he has, the Herbalist's Guide to Skyrim, this should create a potion of invisibility. So he he corks it and he starts. Shaking it up, and lo and behold, the the liquid inside starts to give off the same sort of qualities that he was used to seeing in his time in Skyrim. A bit of a different hue this time, um, but you can tell just by looking at it, uh, this is a potion of invisibility. Ye. So, as they say in Skyrim, ye, ye. of course, ye, ye old ye. <laughs> so, very ah, good. So he feels a little bit of, and he feels like this is for the first time in a, a little bit. He's got a, some of himself back. Now, granted, himself is a uh, chaotic, evil, uh, sadistic sure. psychopath, um, but he feels at home with that, as opposed to this sort of broken, uh, directionless. I think that's like, there's there was like uh, he enjoyed his psychopathy in, mm-hmm. in a way, uh, in a in a very twisted, dark way. That the more you deep, you can find there's probably some sort of trauma based reason for it. But at least he he had a thrill in in, in killing and 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 being unseen and getting away with all these things and the last few days since being dejected and completely uh given the cold shoulder by his his uh i guess sithis isn't a god per se but he's you know a, fo- a force of nature mm-hmm. or whatever this this uh higher power that he has spent his whole life praying to has just completely turned on him so he has felt no enjoyment from any of any of the deaths he has his uh dealt so he has this potion of invisibility and feels that this is this will be put to a good use today. So he makes his way over to the marketplace district. Uh, it's been a couple hours, and he sees Brynjolf uh, just sort of moseying around. They make eye contact very briefly, uh, enough to to generate this sort of uh, okay, we're gonna do this. And Brynjolf starts kind of gathering the crowd. It was like, come on, come all, come on, come all. I'll show you my fantastic new concoction as he's sort of tr- starting to show like some sort of miracle cure, some snake oil bullshit mm-hmm. that he's uh, intentionally started, you know, some um, some of the people in the crowd are sort of heckling him and he's intentionally goading back at them and creating this sort of, you know, they're saying, oh, this is going to be just like your last thing, isn't it, Brynjolf? He's like, oh, I trust you. This is going to be the best thing you have ever seen. And he's going and going and going. And, 
everyone has sort of moved away from the shop front. So Sinsbad Moon realizing he probably doesn't need the potion of invisibility to steal the steal the the ring from the lockbox. Mm -hmm. So he just very briefly or very very uh, subtly just sort of like slinks himself back into the crowd, kind of uh, stretching a little bit. Gets himself behind uh, one of the other uh, shop fronts in, like the little stands, and then crouches down, finds his way over to uh, where the Argonian was previously standing. Sure enough, sees the lockbox. And you can tell just by looking at it, this is one of those very intricate ones. Mm -hmm. um, he's he's fairly he's pretty experienced with lockpicking. He's had to do it um, plenty to, to get into the homes. <laughs> All those of, shops you get breaking yeah, into. Yeah, but he's he's um, he's not he's never fancied himself a thief or anything like that. So he's never. I mean, he's stolen, but he's sure. no—he's not like not a, a thief by trade. He's not a thief. He has no honor of a th you know thieves' honor or whatever. He has no sort of like kinship uh, with thieves, and he, as such, has not really trained in lockpicking. He's just sort of so he sees this lock and he's oh, this looks okay. Here we go. So he he sticks his lockpick in, and he can feel that it's got it's um you know the tumblers are extremely like shallow, and it's going to take a lot of working in there to not like, accidentally like puncture the spring by pushing too hard because it's such a delicate little lock but he, as soon as he puts his pick in it's almost like he just does the tiniest flick of the wrist and it just unlocks it's like it was meant to be it's just he got lucky and it ring, the box ring, opens up and sure enough among a what few ring, sure enough um, among uh, a couple a couple of little gems and she okay, takes those too uh, is this ring so he takes the takes all coal contents keeps the ring uh, kind of puts it on his thumb between his thumb and his index finger, holding it into, uh, in place, and quick check, make sure he's not seen. Look, 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 look. Gulps down his potion of invisibility, and he can feel there's like a cold sensation, mm -hmm. almost like when you smoke a cigarette when you're drunk, and you get that like <sighs> thing comes over your whole body. It's great. Feels like that, and he <laughs> looks down at his uh, his legs and his torso and sees the the ground beneath him. He feels the security. I ain't got no dig, invisible dig. So he's Rome uh sneaks over, he's like, okay, so he needs to plant this ring on the dark elf, uh, which he sees clearly standing over to the right. Uh and but he also needs this Argonian to notice as well and cause a scene this is going to cause the dark elf to be um hopefully arrested or dragged away by the guards for you know, for stealing this ring. Forever. That is the purpose of this of this endeavor. Right. And he is just sort of he's only taking this this job because he's desperate. He needs to get back tomorrow, but he has no uh, funds and he has no means of acquiring any sort of safe equipment uh, and provisions to get himself back. So he just sort of jumped at the opportunity to take a job. But now that he's standing here invisible, he knows the invisible invisibility potion doesn't last forever. Mm -hmm. uh, at best, it'll last him maybe a couple minutes. So he uh, has to think quick. How am I gonna get this? Dark Elf to, 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 you know, brandish this ring and in, in public. How? Okay, so he, he sneaks up and he sees the, the Dark Elf has his arms folded and uh, the doublet that he's wearing has a pocket, unlike the left side. Mm -hmm. So he's, he realizes he can easily enough slip the ring into the pocket of this Dark Elf. But how to get it out? So as he's standing there, he gets an idea, pops into his head. He slips the ring into the... Uh, pocket of the doublet and then just with his other hand gives the leg ever so gentlest like little this little tap on the side of his uh of his doublet and then immediately backs up and go <laughs> back behind um behind the marketplace district and you can see the uh instinctively just the the dark elf just puts his hand to his side what was that what was and he feels in his you know as he puts his hand to his pocket he feels like a protrusion pulls it out this ring and he's like looking at it all funny sort of like holds it up trying to where did this where did this ring come from? And as he's doing that and twisting and turning, it's midday. A ray of of the sun just sort of ping, beams off of it. And since everyone is watching this, and he sees him pull you know pull up the ring, he's like, "Yes, okay, come on." And he's looking over at the Argonian like, "Just look, you fucking piece of shit. Let's look. Come on." Uh, and the Argonian is fixated on this uh, this presentation. And as the dark elf is brandishing the ring, the sunlight just a ray of it just catches the ring and beam beams off of it. Seems like it just kind of goes and hits that Argonian, sort of like right in his eyes. And he just gets this blinded look, and he looks over and sees this dark elf brandishing a ring that looks oddly familiar. 
And all of a sudden, a scene ensues. Uh, and this Argonian starts accusing, that is my ring! And he starts, immediately everyone's attention is drawn to this situ- uh, situation. And the, the dark elf is just standing there like hoodwinked, bamboozled. <laughs> just like, oh, 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 but this is, this is yours? And so it's this crazy, crazy scenario. And eventually the guards show up uh, and what they discern is that this, stop right there criminal this, scum. this man has a ring it doesn't belong to him stop right there criminal scum and they drag it and uh the dark elf branche is being dragged away shouting no it's a conspiracy it's a conspiracy and he's just dragged off to the dungeons uh sings by moon just in the back he well fuck it sucks bro right <coughs> yeah he start he realizes his as uh his, his corporeal form is starting to return like it's almost like the invisibility potion like wears off like ever so slightly over the course of like 15 seconds you look down you sort of fade back into existence <laughs> um and he's managed to get himself away from the scene enough to be undetected uh watches everyone just sort of gossiping and talking about what had just happened and decides that he's gonna go and get himself a drink at the tavern so he goes and spends the spends the afternoon kind of just relaxing a little bit sun starts to go down and he eventually makes his way back down to the lower quarters by the water where Bruniolf is already waiting for him um hands him a few coin feels extremely good um and since moon just sort of takes it feels the weight of it doesn't really count it uh knows it's not too much but it's more than he has uh and Brynjolf says you know says you know there's a lot more work where that comes from um if you're up for it and so sings by moon again not really having much of an agenda in skyrim other than making some coin and getting the fuck out uh is well that was easy what you had in mind so Brynjolf describes to him uh, that there's a tavern deep beneath the city, uh, accessible through the sewers on a, on a trail known as the Ratway. Um, and if Sings Moon could find the place, Brynjolf would be there waiting and would have more work of this sort for him. Uh, and so immediately he says, oh, great, a ringer. So curiously enough, Brynjolf takes off in the other direction, leaves Sings Moon saying, well, if the entrance is at this level, where is he going? He's going to meet me there. He's kind of confused. Because the entrance to the ratway is on the, the level <laughs> that they're you know, on. Brynjolf took off going back up to the top of the city. So, hmm. so reluctant at first, but then considering his brush with danger in the road, uh, he was kind of like, this is going to be a lot of trouble. But decides he needs a suit of armor if he's going to go anywhere. <laughs> so before making a long journey across the mountains, he decides, well, I guess I can handle this sewer dungeon. So he goes through, uh, kind of goes back around, finds this um, finds this entrance to the Ratway that Brynjolf was explaining, and doesn't have very much trouble navigating it. There's a few bandits uh, that he sees sort of camped out. He's, he's m- way, you know, two or three steps ahead of them, uh, just sort of <laughs> slits their throats. Yeah. Slits one of their, yeah, slits one of their throats and gets the blood all over the back of the other one. He turns in horror, realizing what has just happened, uh, and then immediately catches the dagger right into the, the solar plexus. <laughs> plunges into his heart, uh, and they're, they're dead, and Sinsman just <laughs> cleans it off on their, on, their, uh, on their clothing and just keeps going. And makes his way sort of down uh, following like the series of uh, open uh, doors and gates and stuff like that. Eventually finds this, uh, this strange, like, he opens the door, and it's like he walks into this room, and it's like almost like a cavern. Uh, and there's like a, almost like a small pond or something in the middle of it. And you can see that there's a bridge that leads, like a, or like a walkway to the right that leads around uh, to where you can very clearly see a bunch of people sitting around a table and a bar and all sorts of like sort of things behind it. And he reckons that this must be the tavern that uh, Brynjolf was talking about. Eventually he just sort of walking around, he sees a lot, a lot of people giving him very, very, very strange looks. And then one of them, a, uh, this like this bald guy, says, Oi! Who are you? And as it, before Sings Moon can even start to say anything, uh, Brynjolf disappears and uh, sort of, no, 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 this this is the new blood. And starts explaining to everyone um, about how well Sings by Moon performed um, in the marketplace and how he was a very, uh, you know, very skilled at what he did. And, and Sings by Moon is just like, oh, geez, what am I getting myself into? So many people, so many faces. What do we do? Oh, goodness. So, um, Brynjolf starts to sort of explain this, like, you know, speak of Sinsbomun in terms of, like, he's a protege of some kind. Sinsbomun is like, I don't know what he thinks I am, but why I'm here, but okay. Uh, sort of, like, eats the praise. Uh, Brynjolf 
eventually reveals that this is the home base of the Thieves Guild of Skyrim. Um, and also says that they're, you know, it's, it's fairly obvious based on the, even like the condition of the tavern they're in, it's very, very dumpy. Uh, even the armor that, that a lot of the um, members are wearing is sort of tattered, it looks aged, it, uh, it looks functional, but definitely not any, anything sort of state-of-the-art or, or, uh, or anything uh, to be, you know, writing home about. And Brynjolf explains that the, there's a lot of hard times in the Thieves' Guild these days. Basically that there's, they have alliances with lots of local businesses and their standing as a, as an organization is no secret. And some of these businesses are starting to, similar to Branche, they're starting to get cute. They're starting to, they're starting to feel like, well, why should we pay for protection? Why should we go along with all of these, um, all of these things that the Thieves' Guild tells us to do? What are they really going to do? How, how, uh, how much of a threat are they really mm-hmm. to us, to our business, to our to our livelihood? Uh, Bernieoff also explains to Sings of the Moon, um, of course, that there is there's no real tendency toward violence in the Thieves Guild uh, because these are clients, and Sings of the Moon's like, oh god. So it just, as it keeps going, he's more and more just like, oh, what have I got myself into? He's starting to get a little bit stressed out, but again, he reminds himself of of Morrowind and and of of you know just just sort of getting back to to a life that he knows that he can handle and he knows that is going to be there waiting for him, or at least he hopes. Uh, but Brynjolf, again, explains that there, there's a series of um, debts that are unpaid throughout the city of Riften and tasks Sings by Moon with retrieving them. So it's to be some muscle for, for the guild to go around to these local businesses and show them that the Thieves Guild is, is ain't nothing to be fucked with. So... Sings the Moon is just like, why don't we just kill them and take the money that is owed to us? Brynjolf explains, well, dead men only pay once, right? Living men continue to pay. Mm-hmm. This is a this is a business. This is we can't just murder our clientele. It doesn't really. It's not conducive. We're in a bad enough place. Uh, so he gives uh, Sings the Moon the details of these three business owners, and just sort of says, anytime over the next few days. Collect the debts, uh, however you want to. You can threaten them. Like he's like, look, if you got to rough them up a little bit, it's just, just don't, don't like you know, hurt them, hurt, don't kill them. Just you know, show me mean business. Um, so Sings by Moon decides, oh, fine, I'll do it, and Brynjolf promises him that it'll be worth his while. So he he heads back up to the city, decides it's sundown. He has enough uh, coin for a room at the inn. Uh, the bee and barb. So he heads over, uh, spends the night, wakes up the next morning, and decides he's going to try to bang out all three of these uh, in one day. So he, Brynjolf had explained to him that there's ways to to maybe convince these uh, people to just hand over the money. You could do some some digging, find out some things about them, find out some of their, their weaknesses, their things that they love, and sort of threaten them with it, and Sings and Moon is just like, uh, yeah, fuck that. I'm just gonna <laughs> go be scary at them. <laughs> uh, so he just goes around. He goes to um, goes to the. Uh, he's actually at the B and Barb. So he goes downstairs, and the the shopkeep, uh, an Argonian named named Kivara, is indebted to the Thieves Guild, and she's got it coming. She's yeah. Is it a girl? It's a girl. She's she's a female, and her um her lover is also the co-owner. Also got it coming. Mm -hmm. So Sings by Moon approaches the shopkeep the next or uh, the innkeeper the next morning. Uh, oh how how was your sleep? And he's like oh very very good thank you. Uh, and starts up a bit of a conversation with her. Asks her how business is, and eventually asks about some dealings she may have. And says okay look cut to the chase. I'm here for what is owed to us. And he just sort of shows his dagger. Uh, and, and the Argonian immediately just, get out of here. She, she's not taking any of his shit. I don't have to take this from you. Get out of here now. And so she, he, uh, he wants to kill her, like, right away. Like, he's just like, <laughs> okay, th- there, this is an A, B, like a one plus one scenario. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's only a, one answer to this. And he remembers, you know, if he does this, he's not going to get paid he has this 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 rage this dark absolute rage inside of him but holds off on it for the sake of again self-preservation he thinks or convinces himself but he is at a loss for what to do so he 
he goes back upstairs to where he had seen her her husband or lover or, or whoever, uh, another Argonian, and finds him sort of like making up one of the beds um, in the rooms, and you know catches him from behind, closes the door, and says, "Listen," uh, explains to this uh, this other Argonian. It's an Argonian fest right now. Yeah, for sure. That there's four Argonians in this bunch damn of, story so bunch far. Bunch of freaking lizards up in this piece. <laughs> um, explains like, look, Kivara owes some money. And she's refusing to pay, and I'm going to tell you this before I tell her. She might not make it out of here tonight if she doesn't pay. And you can see the look in this Argonian's face. Just He doesn't want to he doesn't want to put her in this situation. He wants to solve it as best he can. He says, look, she gets a little hot-headed. She has a family farm in Morrowind. If you bring that up, she'll have no idea how you knew it, and, and, and she'll pay. But I'm telling you this right now. You better never come here ever again after this. You get your money and you go, and I'd better not see your face here again. Instincts and wounds. Yeah, okay. Okay, buddy. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> Takes the information, goes, uses it to uh, immediately, as soon as as soon as soon he brings this up, Kivara just sort of recoils and, please, I, no, not my family, and just, just immediately just hands over the cash. So he leaves, he goes over to... Um, Another one of the uh, shopkeepers, this Nord, who is a very, very friendly, gregarious Nord. Not for long. <laughs> yeah, run, runs the same routine, and the Nord kind of has a similar reaction. Also realizing he's much physically larger than Sings by Moon. The Nord postures a little bit and sort of refuses to pay, so takes in the surroundings a little bit, notices behind him on a shelf is this sort of uh, this like ceremonial dwarven urn. He looks over at it. He looks back over at the at the Nord, and the Nord immediately is like, "Oh no! Come, come on! No, no!" Uh, and it sings that Moon just takes the hilt of his dagger and just smashes the shit out of this this dwarf, this prized piece of of artwork, this artifact, this ancient cool thing this guy had, just, just decimates it. And the Nord quickly just, "Okay, okay," just hands over, dead. It's like, "Please, just don't break anything else. I'm trying to run a business here." Finally, there's a, another Nord uh, who runs a bunkhouse in town. Uh, not an inn, so she's very adamant mm-hmm, about that. Mm-hmm. This is not an inn. You can't stay here. This is for hardworking locals only, bro. So immediately she starts throwing shade at Sigma Moon. He's like, I'm not here for a room. I'm here for what is owed to me. So he's just, he's phoning this one in. He's yeah. like, I'm just going to be, I'm, I'm getting this money one way or another. Push it down the stairs, kill her, say it was an accident, wasn't it? He, he really, like, his, his loyalty to the uh, mm-hmm. the philosophy of the Thieves Guild is, is quite low. It's been moment. a trying day. It's just, he's, again, he's hustling. He's trying yeah. to get some money. And everyone knows if you have a job, you, you try to do the worst possible job you can while still making the same amount of money for that work. Um, and if you're not doing that, you're a sucker. <laughs> um, and Sings My Moon is not a sucker. So... This, this female Nord is, is extremely reluctant to pay, so Sinamu notices uh, she has this statue of Debella behind uh, her her counter, so uh, kind of like up on display. So he leaves for a bit. Um, at this point, it's midday, so he again heads uh, he heads over to the outskirts of town a little bit, starts looking for some, uh, just doing some foraging for, for any sort of alchemical ingredients he can find. Uh, doesn't find anything too rare. Spends about like a, a few hours doing that until, you know, well through sundown. I realize the shop keeps are probably closing up pretty soon. So he goes back to that bunkhouse, uh, realizing it's going to be pretty populated. There's a lot of people sleeping there. Uh, but he just needs to get in, get behind that counter, uh, which he does easily enough. Steals the statue of Debella. Uh, Debella is a, a, another god in the mm-hmm, Pantheon. Mm-hmm. Of the eight divine, or the nine divine, however, depends on who you ask. Depends on who you ask. Um, and he sneaks back up into, looking around, like, into the quarters upstairs, finds this, this Nord woman sleeping, wakes her up, rouses her from her sleep, and just sort of holds the statue of Debella. She realizes, instantly recognizes his face and has this sort of moment of, please don't steal my prized possession, and pays up. Uh, so... Sings Moon now has all the debts collected, uh, and again now real, remembering he's not exactly welcome at the B and Barb. Heads down to down into the lower quarters of town, back through the Ratway, uh, and again finds his way to this tavern, which uh, he his, he's discovered is called the Ragged Flagon. Exactly, so he has nowhere to stay really in the town for the night. So he's hoping that there's at least somewhere for him to stay uh, tonight. And when he returns. He finds Brynjolf, uh, and he pans over the debts 
uh, and he's immediately congratulated and given coin, and uh, everyone is you sort of you know no one, it's not like a celebration, but people are sort of starting to drop their their scowls when they look at him, and Brynjolf keeps lauding him as like a natural. He's a natural. You, 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 I, he's like, I knew it the moment I saw you. You have what it takes to do what we do here. This thing's moment is like, whatever. He's very angry. He's like an angsty <laughs> teen. Uh, he just doesn't really want to hear it. Uh, so Brynjolf says, come. I would, I'd like to meet you to meet someone. Takes him, moves this bookshelf uh, that was like kind of back uh, behind the uh, the bar and reveals like this this passageway which leads to a door uh, and opens up into another chamber it's like a large cistern and then it uh you can sort you walk up uh so like as you walk in uh you kind of like walk up a little bridge and there's this circular landing uh kind of underneath all the sewer water or i'm sorry above all the sewer Mm -hmm. water and then there's like four well four pathways you can take to go around each side of the cistern and in the middle of it, there is uh, this human standing there with this like stringy shoulder-length brown hair. Uh, he's wearing this dark leather armor. It's got belts and bands and buckles and shit, just like a little bit more official looking than everyone else is in a little bit better condition. Brynjolf brings Sings Moon, who again is just wearing commoner's clothes, um, into the center of the cistern and introduces him uh, and then introduces the man and says, uh, Sings Moon, this is Mercer Frey. Guildmaster of the Thieves Guild of Skyrim. And Sings is not terribly impressed by this man. He looks like a normal guy. And uh, Mercer just goes, So, you're the natural. Gives him a little bit of shade. And uh, Sings goes, I, So I've been told. Hmm, well, I got a job for you, and you better not screw it up. Uh, so Frey tells Sings Moon about the guild's arrangement with uh, a, a very, very popular meadery in town called the Black Briar Meadery. Black Briars are a very wealthy noble family and it's kind of common knowledge around Riften that they kind of run shit. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got the, the political elites in their back pocket. They've got apparently the Thieves Guild in their back pocket. Everyone knows you don't fuck with Black Briars and especially the matriarch, Maven Blackbriar. And apparently there is a contract from Maven herself. Uh, so the meadery in town has been getting its honey from uh, you know various uh, bee farms throughout Skyrim, but one of them, which is very very close to Riften and also a very large producer, is the Golden Glow Estate. Uh, so it's a bee farm, sort of uh, a, like not e- like like a quarter mile northeast of the city, like just outside. Uh, it's like on an island in a small like a like a you know relatively decent sized lake. And it's like this big manor, uh, and it's pretty much easily accessible, and it it is produces like the most uh, honey in like any, of any of the bee farms in in Skyrim. And being so close, the travel or the uh, like the overhead of getting the the honey into the meadery is has been extremely profitable. It's been an extremely profitable venture, uh, especially since the thieves guild stepped in and has sort of decreed that. Golden Glow Estate will not do business with anyone except Blackbriar Meadery because of the arrangements. Um, and but like everyone seemingly in Riften, they're sort of forgetting that, or, or choosing to forget uh, that the Thieves Guild is a uh, a force to be reckoned with in the city. Uh, and Arangoth, the leader or the owner of Golden Glow Estate, has been doing business with other meaderies across Skyrim. And based on some information, it's with uh, it's being brokered by a shadowy figure whose name is not known. Sings Moon is tasked with going to Golden Glow Estate and emptying the contents of Arangoth's safe to send him a message. We're going to rob you of everything you have. He's also tasked with stealing his prized Queen Bee statuette, which should be somewhere in the manor. And he is told to burn down three of the beehives. Three of them. There are five. It, there's a Mercer says there's a very explicit instruction from Maven Blackbriar. Do not burn more than three of these beehives. She needs this is to send a message. This is to make sure that the mead gets made, and their mead can't be made without honey. So three only. And is basically told if you if you mess this up, not only are you gonna have us on your ass, not only are you not gonna get paid, but you're going to have the, the lady who runs everything in this town down your throat. And you 
probably going to have stuff, stuff up your ass and down your throat. It's just a whole bad situation, and you don't want that. And so it seems my moment realizing this is, okay, starting to get into some affiliated business mm-hmm. here. He's like, he he's not one for taking sides anyway, and he's not even considering this taking a side, but he is on behalf of a side. So uh, he's immediately reluctant, but he doesn't have very, very many options. So again, fine, I'll do it. Uh, and immediately says, all right, so there's this sort of like a jovial moment where they, they're welcoming him in as a new recruit, and they said, well, you know what this means, right? You're officially a member. Congratulations. So as he does this, uh, a Red Guard woman um, sort of like approaches, and you can see she's holding something. She says, I've become pretty good at eyeballing, so this should fit. And hand sings by moon a nice suit of leather armor. Uh, and he makes his way into the back and, and fits it on. It fits nice and snug. It's got some belts and buckles and shit, too. And he starts oh, just realizing he can make it a little <laughs> bit tighter in this spot. And he, it's not exactly as, it's not exactly as like, uh, like form-fitting as his, his armor he had. What had fused to his scales before, didn't it? <laughs> yeah, well, it made basically, yeah. He had grown into it. <laughs> so it was like as literally as big as him. But it fits nice. And he feels a bit secure. It has two... Um, good spots for his daggers. Uh, and he also um, is told by this red guard that she has some wares. So he goes and um, he has lots of things that he has stolen that are not exactly for... Uh, uh, you can't really sell them to anyone who is... Upstanding? Yeah, they're not going to take hot merchandise. There's always this... You're kind of... If you're showing up... There's a, there's a very... It can be very obvious. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. If you're showing up somewhere with like... Hey, I have a, uh, I have this very, very expensive, uh, like elven sword in this glass armor, and I'm a broke ass motherfucker. How did I get it? Mm. You know, there's, um, there's, it's been very tricky for him to try and, and deal some of the goods he, he has. He just shows acquired. up with like six iPhones, and he's like, yeah, no, yeah. these are all, all yeah, my yeah, old no. ones. I just bought a bunch in case they break, and they <laughs> didn't. So here you go. Um, but this red guard woman uh, is unscrupulous of course she's a member of the thieves guild and so he uh, is able to make lots of deals with her uh, as they head back into the ragged flagon and he ends up uh, purchasing from her two twin dwarven daggers uh, enchanted one with lightning uh, and one with a stamina drain effect Uh, so and he still has a little bit of coin left over so suddenly sings by moon who literally the day before was destitute and You're sleeping in a gutter, sleeping in a gutter, just like not even in the sewer, like outside of the sewer, <laughs> like he couldn't even he make his way in. Yeah, he's not allowed in the sewer. Now suddenly has a secure feeling uh, set of armor and some weapons that he is told not to use. But uh, before he, you know, he's he realizes he's still not welcome at the being barbed, despite how much money he has. So he goes back to Brynjolf and, and asks if he's welcome to stay and assist her. Brynjolf tells him, of course, of course. And then they start conversating a bit. Have Brynjolf starts detailing a little bit more about Golden Glow Estate and its layout and the fact that there's probably mercenary guards and that Arangoth is pretty well known for being hot-headed and you're probably not going to be able to convince him to give you the key to his safe, so you're going to have to acquire it somehow. It seems that Moon just gives him the same look that he gave him when he... Uh, he asked about, you know, the debt collection. Well, I mean, there is a way to get... And Brynjolf sort of looks around and leans in and says, Look, lethal force can be used as an absolute last resort with Arangoth only. He can go. That's it. Okay? It has to be 100% necessary. And Sigmund is like, Of course! Thanks for listening to episode four of the Pretenders Guild. I always wish that that Golden Glow Estate quest was you have to go in and steal bees. Dude. You're tasked with stealing bees. Or just if there was a mechanic to have bees <laughs> as a weapon. You just have to have a bunch of bees. That should be a spell. I always thought that You know they... you can find bees on people. You can loot just bees. Really? Off of people. Yeah. I found really? one the other day when I was playing. I was like, what am I... This is just... I'm going to use this for alchemy, I guess. You should... There should be a spell where spell. you just shoot bees. Bees. <laughs> and it makes that noise that would be lit 
Anyway, so yeah. hopefully Sing Song Moon will be able to steal some bees next time. We'll, just, we'll be seeing if um, he does. Alright, well yeah, thanks for listening. You can follow us on Twitter at Pretenders Guild. If you have stories for us, you can tweet them there, send us a message on there, or email us at, I believe, uh, thepretendersguild at gmail.com. I'll link all this stuff in the show notes. Anyway, uh, catch you later. Bye.